0: well we often refer to ourselves as christians uh, in many terms but one of them is believers Uh, in fact when we meet someone that we have an inclination that perhaps they are a christian uh, one of the ways we can ask it is we are are you a believer and immediately if the person is a christian he doesn't greet us with a with a sense of what kind of question is that the person knows what you are asking. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? In that indeed it is one of those terms that are so dear to us. We are believers, but just because we are believers doesn't mean we believe in anything or everything. For instance, we do not believe in luck. We do not believe in chance or fate. We believe in Christ. We believe in God. A sovereign and gracious Lord who orders all things to happen according to his, uh, in the universe, according to his perfect and eternal plan, to his perfect will and eternal plan, for the good of his people and for the glory of his holy name. That's what we believe in. We have a sovereign God in control of all things. We can say together with the psalmist, can't we? That our God is in heaven and does everything as He pleases, including even the decisions of men. We read in Proverbs 16 of this sovereignty of God, where a lot of plans are made, but from the Lord, we read, proceeds every decision. It is He who works in us both to do and to will. For his good pleasure. So salvation, as we will consider this morning, is indeed in itself a divine work. It is a work accomplished by God. Sovereignly planned in eternity, past by the Father. Accomplished in history, in time, by the Son. And applied into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So that Paul is right when he says that all things work together for good, for those who love God, for God's elect, for those who are called according to his purpose. This passage that we read is a clear example of God's sovereign grace in salvation. It is not the the most uh, uh, easy Doctrine to consider as we consider the many doctrines of Scripture, the doctrine of of God's sovereignty of salvation. But as we look at this passage, we see it clearly. That is God's providence, God's sovereign grace at work in the salvation of souls. But quickly, let me just give you a a recap for those who have not been uh, uh, attending, who don't know where we are in the book of Acts, a little bit of context. We have been considering the work uh, of the Apostle Paul in the second missionary journey, as it is recorded to us by inspiration of the Spirit in the book of Acts. We previously had uh, considered the first missionary journey, as Paul and Barnabas went out into Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and they established churches there, we saw how Paul and Barnabas separated. Barnabas and Mark went to Crete, uh, to Cyprus, um, and Paul left with, with Silas by land, passing through Syria, Cilicia, through Turkey, on their way to, to, in this second missionary journey. In the previous message, we did consider something of the Lord's providence in, in bringing this about, the Macedonian call that Paul received. Paul was very much intending to go into some places in Asia Minor, in Turkey, but he, we read that he was hindered uh, by the Holy Spirit, that he was forbidden from going there. And then he wanted to go, he first wanted to go west. Uh, into uh, Western Turkey, what is today Western Turkey. He was forbidden. He then wanted to go north in, to what today is Northern Turkey. He was again hindered. So he f- ended up in, uh, in the city of Troas, the port city of Troas. And in that city, he received a vision of a Macedonian man, uh, man calling uh, the apostle and, the, and his co-workers to come and cross over the the agency and help them. And that's what they did. That's where our passage today uh, uh, starts, where our passage today starts. The the continuing journey of Paul, Silas, um, Timothy, and now uh, even Luke, crossing the agency, getting into Macedonia, and traveling to Philippi. That's our text today. And the, our text today is a text of firsts. It's the first uh, city, first point we're going to consider, it's the first city in Europe that receives the, the gospel. Secondly, we will consider the first convert. And thirdly, we will consider the, thir- the first church in Europe. So the first city. We read that when they set out sailing from Troas to Macedonia, that this trip lasted for two days. And again, if you have one of those Bibles that has maps in the back, if you want to keep a finger on them and and look, it, it is helpful for us to contemplate. We read that this sea journey took them two days and that they had to stop in the middle to spend the night in Samothrace. It's located to the north of the Aegean Sea, if you have it there in front of you, and it's right about halfway between uh, Troas and the city of Neapolis. Neapolis. And that's where they eventually uh, moved. That's where they eventually end up, ended up. A port city, a very modern city, a, a city that was about 200 years old at this time. Today, if you would travel to Greece, this city is called Kavala. And from the the port of Neapolis, we read that the missionaries traveled about 15 kilometers inland to the city of Philippi. And again, you can see that on your map. They probably took the the Roman road called the Via Ignatia. The Via Ignatia was a a road that spanned about a thousand kilometers or more than a thousand kilometers from Byzantium, modern day Istanbul, uh, all the way to Ignatia, a port city. That bears its name. So the missionary work began not, uh, not in Neapolis. They just arrived there. They disembarked there and they moved to Philippi for some reason. And they, the f- missionary work begins in Philippi. Luke considers, says that Philippi was, is the foremost city of Macedonia. And this is an interesting thing because Macedonia's capital was Thessalonica. Another great city in Macedonia was Amphilopo- uh, amphipolis amphipolis so there is a some debate among scholars and among commentators about why does Luke call Philippi the foremost city? Some suggest that it, um, Luke was probably from from Philippi and he was kind of showing his colors as a philippian uh, uh, local as a Philippine citizen he was kind of saying our city is the best city maybe maybe not I don't, it, that's that's a lot of uh, conjecture there others suggest that Philippi was the foremost which just means first was the foremost first city of that part of Macedonia uh, that Luke is saying well as we you travel inland that's the first city you arrive at it could well be true but They've just disembarked in in Neapolis. That would be the first city. Others suggest, and I tend to agree with this, that Philippi was a great city, was the foremost city because of its history, because of its status. Let me just tell you, uh, for those of you who who perhaps weren't here when we were going through the book of Philippians, how great Philippi Philippi was. Philippi used to be named Crenidus, and it received its name, Philippi, because Philip of Macedonia, the father of Alexander the Great, conquered this city and rebaptized it and said, well, you're no longer going to be Cronidus, you're now Philippi. And he, this city was, became a city of great status in the region. Later on, Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, uh, proclaimed that this city would become a Roman colony. And for a city outside of Italy, what today is Italy, to become a Roman colony was indeed very much a, a big thing because its citizens would be Roman citizens, not just uh, subjects of the and living under the, the, the rule of Roman Empire, but the citizens of, of Philippi would indeed be like citizens of the, the, the great city of Rome. They would be exempt from taxes. The 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 city of Philippi being a Roman colony would not be subject to regional governors of Macedonia. They would answer only directly to the emperor. So it was a great city, it was the foremost city in the sense that as the the Europe was under the Roman Empire, Philippi in that region was the 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 capital where the Romans lived, it was where the Romans went to. It was the the place of bureaucracy probably. So it was the first and foremost city in that sense, I believe. The inhabitants of Roman colonies were indeed very privileged. And it is possible, as we consider this, we read that Paul was there for and Paul and his friends were there for a few days before the, the, the Sabbath day. It is possible that Paul and, 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 and Silas and Timothy and Luke were there preaching the gospel for a few days. But nothing is said about what, what kind of results came out of it. Let me just make a small point here before we move forward to the, next, uh, to the second point. Another thing you notice... Another wonderful proof that Acts is inspired by God is that it conveys to us some information that we then hear from secondary sources that is so clearly stated here. Luke so often, as as the good historian that he is, and because he's under the inspiration of the Spirit, he tells us things that we only came to find out uh, in modern age uh, recently. We read that on the Sabbath day, they went to the out of the city to the riverside. This would be a river about fifteen kilometers away, and that's where the Jewish converts would gather. Nowadays, we know from from other records that this was a very common practice when there was no significant Jewish uh, community in the city, when where there was not uh, a significant male Jewish. Jewish presence in a city, there was no uh, possibility of establishing a synagogue. We read in a rabbinical text that they needed ten men to establish a synagogue. And that in the absence of a synagogue, we read as well that the women were to, on the Sabbath day, to congregate in the nearest body of water, a river, a lake, or something, or, 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 or something like that, and there offer their, their Sabbath prayers. And here is Luke, first century, telling us all of this. Only the critics do not realize, and they, they want to, to say that this is all conjured up, that it's, it's full of uh, infactualities. It's not true. Here we find Paul and, and Sil- Silas and Timothy clearly understanding the the tradition of the time and being recorded to us by Luke so first city and then we read of the first convert. Lydia she was a, a woman uh, that was first uh, she was the first woman to be converted as a result of the gospel proclamation not in a synagogue not in the in the uh, in the square or in the streets or in the buildings of Philippi she was converted uh in the riverside unlike peter peter uh, unlike peter paul did not re- have a, a wonderful uh, reception in philippi where people were inviting the apostle to come to their house and, and they were already prepared by the spirit not even the, the vision of the macedonian man where is the man no paul had to go and preach the gospel at the banks of those river of those, of that river to those women. And to these women, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, they proclaimed the gospel. They all heard the good news of God's grace. And this is one of the, the most surprising things. Only one, only one woman, out of the many women who were probably there, only one woman, a woman from Tiatira, not a local from Philippi, received the gospel. Theotaira was an ancient uh, city of the kingdom of Lydia, which bears the name of this woman as well. The, the kingdom was named Lydia, and this woman is named Lydia. It was in the Roman province of Asia, in Turkey. In the sovereign plans of God, that's one of the, the, the shocking, surprising elements, is that in the sovereign plans of God, God prevented Paul from entering into Asia only to take him to Macedonia to save a woman that was originally from Asia. That's, that's God's sovereignty there. In addition to her name and to where she's from, Luke tells us that she was a, a religious uh, convert to Judaism. She, uh, uh, she worshipped God. She was a God-fearer. She was a Gentile, God-fearing woman, and we also read that she was a, a seller of purple. She was a, uh, a woman that dealt in the, the trade of fabric. And again, one more element that is clearly known now historically is that Thyatira, that region, was very well known for its uh, work in dyeing uh, clo- clothing. Tyre was known for the production of dyes. And here is Lydia in Philippi trading in those dyes. But the focus of the passage is not nothing. Uh, it's not about Lydia's profession, about Lydia's religion. The focus of the passage is on Lydia's conversion. She was converted to the Christian faith. It doesn't matter if you're religious, does it? That's one of the things that this text te- teaches us, and I'll, I'll allude to it in a, uh, in a moment. She was a religious woman. she was a God-fearer. She was someone who would who perform the religious vows very, very, very diligently and very obediently. But here she is in need of salvation. And it is only when Christ... Christ's gospel is preached to her that salvation comes to her. You cannot go to God the Father except through Christ the mediator. And we read in verse 14 that it was the Lord that opened her heart. Opening her heart. What a wonderful figure. It was the Lord that opened her heart. And then verse 15 provides for us Further evidences of her conversion, she was baptized, and immediately she displayed the, the the gift of hospitality. She insisted, she she compelled the 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 apostle and the disciples and and his friends and his co-workers to join to come come into my house and stay. And Luke uh, puts a uh, gives us a. His defeating uh, censors, she persuaded us. So she persuaded us. She won the argument. So the question is, why did Lydia respond positively to the gospel? Why is it that Lydia was so, uh, responded so positively to the gospel? Was it that she was more intelligent than the other women there? No. Was it that she was more prepared? No. The reason why the text the text tells us the reason why she was converted is because the Lord opened her heart. Paul was speaking to all those women there in the in the riverside in the river uh, by the riverside, and only one believed. Why? Because the Lord worked in her heart. Indeed, proving that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes because it is God's work. It is the power of God. And finally and quickly, the last point before we we come to some conclusions. Not only we see the first city in Europe to receive the gospel, the first convert to Christianity in Europe, but we see as well the beginnings of the first church in Europe, right there in Philippi. This chapter has been called by some uh, preachers some commentators as the household chapter as chapter 16 of the book of acts deals a lot about households it's not only the household of of uh, of Lydia later on we see the philippian jailer and his household uh, believe and are baptized it is very much the household chapter and why is that what is what why is th- this chapter so much focused in the household well I believe that what God is doing here he is instantly creating a church a couple of households a couple of converts and their households can get converted here we find the first church in philippi God's building an instant church in philippi Later on in the in the in the in this chapter in verse 40 you will find that uh, after Paul and, and uh, Silas were released from uh, prison, uh, they went and they met the brethren the brethren, men and women, they met the brethren where? At Lydia's house it was very much, Lydia's house was very much the church building that they had to meet and let me just address here as a point, a quick point of uh, an aside, but a point that often gets uh, discussed uh, between Christians, the issue of infant baptism. We've discussed this before when we were considering Cornelius' conversion, but let me just emphasize it again, that, in, that it is for those who believe and practice infant baptism to prove that in, a, in when Luke here tells us that the household was baptized to prove that infants were in this household. In fact, we read nothing of it. It is their onus to prove to, to us. They imply, oh, a household would certainly have children. Well, what if Lydia was not married? We don't read anything about her husband. What if Lydia was older now and her children are already uh, moved on? She was already uh, um, empty... Uh, they call empty-nested, right? She was already empty-nested. We don't read anything about her husband. Her husband seems to be absent, probably because she doesn't have one at this time, whether because she never married, because of her business, or because she widowed. a household, in this case can and does mean, I believe, just the, the servants that she would have. As a businesswoman, she would have servants, slaves, and all of those of those, uh, house workers. And when she believed, she took the gospel as well to them. They believed, and they were baptized. The menial, as John Gill says, the menial workers of the house, the menial servants who came along with her, uh, from her native place of business, uh, business, and who attended on her. You know that we have a, an Ethio- Ethiopic uh, church uh, just around the corner here. The Ethiopic church has a, an interesting thing. It's called the Ethiopic version of the Bible. It's a very old version of the Bible. Very, uh, it differs from the scripture we have because they had a lot of books to it. But it's very old translation of of the original. Centuries before the King James was translated, centuries before we had the Authorized Version, the Ethiopic uh, churches, both of Ethiopia and Eritrea, those regions, they had the their translations of the Bible. One of the interesting things is this is given. I found this through John Gill, the the pastor uh, from the the 17th century is that the ethiopic uh, version of the bible when it comes here and says that uh, Lydia and her household were baptized the ethiopic translation says Lydia and her men her her servants her employees were baptized and i'm not saying that the ethiopic version is better because it is a translation it is not the original But that's how the Ethiopian believers understood the word when they read it. And that should inform us as well. So it was very much in this passage the first city, the first convert, and the first church. Those women uh, heard the gospel. Only Lydia got saved, but with Lydia... Her household got saved and then later we'll find with the Philippian jailer and his household will be saved as well. And there we have it. The first church in European soil. A very beloved church of the Apostle Paul, as we know from reading the book, uh, the letter to the Philippians. So quickly, uh, what can we learn from this passage? This is more of me explaining the text, but I really want us to try and understand the application of this text to us we can learn from the this passage from this account of the beginning of the work an important a few important truths about salvation a few important truths about the gospel and how the gospel comes to bear in the person's heart the first is that this text teaches us that conversion is the work of sovereign grace in the heart. Several women, several women there heard the gospel. Several women heard the gospel that day. But only one believed. And it wasn't because she was more intelligent. It wasn't because she was more spiritual uh, than the other women. Just so there is no uh, kind of <laughs> doubts in this the text says to us it was the lord that opened her heart it's not because she was better it's not because she was uh, uh, more prepared it was the work of the holy spirit in her heart calling her irresistibly drawing her opening her heart to see the, the light of the gospel, to make the light of the gospel shine in her situation. To see the darkness of her sin, her need for a savior, a need for, for, for wisdom to, out of her ignorance. So salvation is a supernatural work of the Spirit. And Matthew Henry says it so lovely, uh, in such a lovely way. What was true of Lydia is true of every convert in Christian history. Are you a believer today? Let me tell you, don't don't take pride in being a believer. Don't take pride in yourself in being a believer. You're only a believer, not because you're more intelligent, not because you, you, you made the right decision, but you're a believer because God was gracious to you. Because when you were blind, He gave you eyes to see. When you were deaf, He made your ears hear the gospel. So be thankful. Give praise to God. That what is true of Lydia is true of every convert in Christian history. It is a miracle that God re- brings about in the life of those he saves. Secondly, this passage teaches us that conversion is the fruit of, of wonderful and an amazing providence from God. We already spoke about this uh, a little bit, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, in the previous uh, sermon, but But it bears to be reminded... All of those things that happened as Paul was trying to get into, into, into Asia, into that region of Turkey. All those hindrances, all of those, of those uh, blocks, roadblocks in the way that hindered him from going where he wanted. It was God directing him throughout the, through Turkey, around the north, to Troas. And from Troas, maybe he thought he was going to go south, but God was directing him. No, we're going to Macedonia. Why? Because there's this woman there. There's this woman called Lydia there, and God wanted to save her. Why God wanted to save her? Because He is sovereign. He saves who He wants. He opens the hearts of those He wants. The Lord providentially worked to bring the missionaries to Philippi to save that woman. How many events contributed to Paul, Silas, Timothy, and, and Luke to being there? And, and on the other hand, think from the side of Lydia. Lydia is not passive in all of this. How many things contributed to her being in that place at that time on that day? How many providences, how many hindrances might have happened in Lydia's life, bringing her on that day to that place to hear that apostle preach? She was not even Jewish. She was not a citizen of Philippi. She was from the other side of the sea. She was very far, far away from home. But in God's providence, all of these things were what Charles Spurgeon used to call uh, prevenient graces. The prevenient grace of God was graces that were leading her to the, to the point where she would receive the sovereign uh, the grace of God in salvation. I wonder, when Paul penned those words that are so dear and so familiar to us Christians, those words that all things work together for good of those who love Christ, I wonder if Paul was thinking of this situation, all things working together for the good of Lydia. All things working together for her good. I wonder if Paul had this situation in mind or maybe some similar situations. How wonderful it is to see this being brought to bear in the life of someone. Think about your own personal testimony. The hindrances, the the roadblocks that you met on the way that perhaps brought you to a place of Deep uh, despair and distrust of anything else, and then you heard a preacher. You heard someone. You read a leaflet. You 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 saw a, a church building open. You came in and you heard the gospel. And it was like just everything was working together at that time. And you it just your heart was opened to the message. Those are the ways that God works. Be thankful for them. Trust Him always. The same God who controlled all those things up until that moment. that moment you were going down the street, perhaps, not knowing what you're doing with your life. And you come across a Christian handing you a leaflet. You come across a, a church uh, with the doors closed, uh, but you read the verse on the, on the wall and you say, "Oh my, maybe I, it's so close to home. Maybe I'll come in next week. Maybe the church is open. Maybe you hear the singing. Or maybe there's someone working in the church, cleaning, and you really just feel drawn to come in and ask. uh, And those things are the Lord's work. And the same God who is providentially at work doing those things, He is still providentially bringing all things to work together for the good of those who love His Son. So trust Him. Believe in Him. He does not fail. He makes no mistakes. This is from God's side of salvation. Let me just quickly address uh, something of the application from Lydia's side of, the, of salvation, from the human side. Although we believe, and it is indeed uh, the truth of Scripture that God works alone in salvation, and although conversion is indeed God's work of sovereign grace, we know that this does not eliminate or lessen the responsibility of man. That's usually how, how this ends up. When, when, when the preacher preaches about the sovereignty of God in salvation, people go, oh, fine, we don't need to evangelize then. Oh, fine, I don't need to do anything. God's going to save me if he wants to, and if he doesn't, it's not, I don't have any power in it, so I'm, I'm just going to cross my arms, shrug my shoulders, and, and, and remain passive. That's not how the, the Word of God speaks about it, is it? From both sides. First of all, although God is uh, completely sovereign and brings about salvation uh, from his own will, with no input, God uses instruments. Paul had to be obedient. Paul had to go. Paul had to obey the the Great Commission. There is responsibility there. He needed to find out where he could find people to preach for. Uh, to. On that Sabbath day, he, he woke up and he thought, well, where, where are we going? He probably conversed with his fellow workers. Well, we need to find people. And someone said, well, there's a river about 15 kilometers away. Maybe we should go there. That's where usually the Jewish women will, will meet this morning. And it, For lack of a synagogue, that was uh, Paul's modus operandi. That's where Paul would go first and foremost. For lack of a synagogue, Paul says, okay, fine, let's go. It doesn't diminish our responsibility. Same thing with, with, with Lydia. She still had to externally answer that call. She was called by the gospel. The Spirit worked and opened her heart, but she then had to to willingly pay attention to the proclamation of the gospel. We know that she was only paying attention because God was at work in her heart, but there is an element of of that here. What we learn from Lydia is so important. So important in our day. So important in our day where people say, Oh, I'm a Christian. I don't need salvation. I've already been saved. And, and, and they live their lives no different from the world outside. You couldn't really distinguish a Christian, those kind of Christians from anyone in the world by their day-to-day lives. But it is important as well because there, there is a certain sense where people want to be religious because kind of like the older brother in the, in, the, in the parable of the prodigal son. They're just religious. That's how they've been raised up to be. I'm a Christian. I'm religious. I go to church. I perform all my religious duties on time. Well, that, that does not save you, does it? You're saved by faith in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. And that's what this woman Lydia teaches us. She was a worshiper of God. She was a worshiper of God. She was there on the Sabbath performing her religious uh, rituals. She was doing everything she could. But she was nevertheless a stranger to God. And dead in her sins and trespasses. And that's why God sent the Apostle Paul to her to preach the good news of the Gospel. You see, being religious does not save you. Saying that you have some kind of belief in God does not save you. A lot of people know something of God. A lot of people have heard something of God. A lot of people have said things about God. And have some kind of image of God in their minds. But what we read in scripture is that that is not enough to save you. A mere head knowledge of God does not save you. It is the relationship with God. He's being acquainted with God in your heart. He's being made in, to be in union with Christ that saves you. It is only by Christ and Christ alone that you are saved. Being morally upright, being a churchgoer, goer, being, being, does not make you saved you're unconverted if those are the things you're relying upon. You need your heart opened by the Spirit. So pray that the Spirit would open your heart to the truth of the Gospel. And that's what we see. Although she was so religious, although Lydia was so, so, so diligent in her religious duties. Although she was certainly a productive member of her, of the, of her community. Although she was certainly a well-beloved member of her community. All of those things. She had to have her heart opened. And immediately when her heart was opened. You saw something. You see something of the fruits of conversion in her life. Immediately, she wanted to obey the word of Christ, the commands of Christ. Immediately, she wanted to do what Christ had told her to do. I'm sure the Apostle Paul said, oh, look, this is why I've come. Why, why is it that you're here, Apostle? She might have asked, why is it that you're here, Paul? And he said, look, I've received this commission from Christ to go out into all the world and to preach the good news of the gospel and to baptize those who believe in the name of the Father, the Son, and the the Holy Spirit. And she goes, wait, so I believe. I want to be baptized. That's the proof of her open heart. Immediately she wanted to obey. It was on the same day she wanted to obey. So that's the fruit of salvation. And immediately she wanted to proclaim the gospel to her friends, to her household, to her workers. She went and she proclaimed, and they were baptized as well. That's a proof, a fruit of salvation. She did not say, well, you know what, Paul, I believe what you say. But regarding that thing of baptism, that seems like a really big step right now. I need to think about it. I need to, to really uh, uh, hear God tell me that. No. No, no she understood that she, uh, uh, that she had to obey as her heart was opened, she just was propelled to a newfound obedience to God's word and God's commands. Oh, you know what? It's the middle of winter. The water is probably cold. Let's just wait for, for a warmer day, maybe. This river is a little bit smaller. Indeed, the, the river in Philippi was, it's not very, uh, you couldn't even call it a river. Most people wouldn't even call it a river. The river 15 kilometers away from Philippi is just a small stream of water. You really have to find a place where you can even emerge, uh, submerge a, a body there although there are a few places that they can do so. No. Paul, you just told me the gospel. Paul, you just told me that my sins are forgiven in Christ. I believe. And you just told me that I needed to be baptized. I want to be baptized as a believer. That is clear. And the other way that her, her conversion is certainly seen in the fruits is the way that she opens up her house. Isn't that a fruit of the Spirit, uh, a, fruit, uh, a fruit of conversion, uh, uh, a gift of the Spirit, hospitality? She immediately went, well, you must come to my house now. You must spend some time with, with, with me and my household. I want you to, to spend some time. I want to, to give you uh, 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 hospitality. I want to treat you in my, my house. There's plenty of room there. Bring Timothy, bring Silas, bring, bring, bring Luke. I want to receive you. And the, the way that the text here says is apparently there was some uh, uh, reluctance on the part of the uh, of the of the apostle and the, his friends the, that she was begging. She was begging, please come. And they went, well, no, we we have some more people to uh, some other places to be and she goes no please come to my house come and finally paul and luke and they and and silas and timothy they are persuaded so she persuaded us luke says which means that they weren't too keen on it but they she was so insistent she wanted to receive them She glowed with the the desire of spending time with, with her brethren. What kind of fruits of salvation do we display? Do we display any? We are told love one another brothers and sisters and to go to one another as you have opportunity to do so. Because in loving one another, we display the love of Christ. In this, they will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. May the Lord grant us the open hearts to heed and to obey his word. May the Lord open your hearts for his name.